if you have your scriptures with you today, open them up to Ephesians chapter 6. If you don't, in your bulletin, there's an insert with the passage that we're going to uh, be looking at today. And so uh, open up to Ephesians 6.18, and if not, look at the little uh, sheet in front of you there. And uh, I'll begin reading with uh, that verse 18. Praying at all times in the Spirit with all prayer and supplication. To that end, keep alert with all perseverance, making supplication for all the saints. And also for me that words may be given to me in opening my mouth boldly to proclaim the mystery of the gospel, for which I am an ambassador in chains, that I may declare it boldly as I ought to speak. This is the Word of God. You know, you probably have heard the story of the man that was hiking in a very high mountain. He was up on this mountain, uh, and he was hiking on a very narrow trail. On one side is the, you know, the mountain, and on the bo- the next to him on the other side was a cliff that went down like a thousand feet. It was just a straight drop down. And the guy's walking and hiking, and a dense fog rolled in and just covered the mountain. He couldn't see anything, couldn't see his hand in front of his face, uh, couldn't see the path in front of him. And so he's holding on to the side of the mountain and he's trying to make his way and the inevitable happens, he slips and he fell. And as he's falling, he's crying out, God help me, God help me. And he's scrambling and holding and he catches a branch of a little tree that's stuck in the side of the mountain. And he's holding on and he's screaming, you know, is anybody up there? Help me, help me. And this voice comes down and says, I'm here, my son. I hear you. Help me. Help. Who is this? Well, this is God. I'm here to help you. Well, throw me a rope. And God says, no, no, just let go. You're only three feet from the ground. Just let go. You'll be fine. And the guy says, are you crazy? Throw me a rope. No, no, God says, trust me, just let go. You're three feet from the ground, you'll be fine. And there's a pause and the guy starts yelling, help, help, is there anybody else up there? That's an old story and it's, it's getting less funny every time I hear it. <laughs> anyway, the apostle, don't we have a weird relationship with the whole idea of prayer? Prayer is something that if statistics are correct, over 90% of the world's population, the whole world, over 90% of people say they pray. They pray to somebody or something. And they pray at different times. Some people are very religious. They pray many times a day. Some people are less religious. They pray less times a day. Some people pray only when they're falling from a mountain and they're screaming out for help. But we have this weird relationship, I think, all of humans, and Christians too, if you're honest, uh, it, it can be difficult. Prayer can be one of those real great challenges. And yet Paul, the apostle, as we have seen throughout this letter, he continually punctuates his grammar, what we've called the grammar of the gospel, the book of Ephesians. He continually punctuates it with this idea of prayer. In Ephesians 1, I think it's around verse 15, he says, he gives a model prayer, a beautiful prayer that he prays for the Ephesian church. Then right in the middle of the book, uh, I think it's in 3.14, he, he again prays for 
uh, the Ephesians. So he gives two of these beautiful model prayers. And then at the end of the book, 618, the passage we just read, he gives an imperative. He commands us to pray. And he tells us how to do it, which we'll, we'll talk about in a minute. He punctuates his entire letter with prayer. Why? Because prayer is essential to our core identity. No matter what you believe about creation and all of that, or the nature of human beings, the Bible says we were created in the image of God. And man is unique in that he prays. He recognizes there is something, listen carefully, something or someone external to him that is worthy of an address of some kind. And so consequently you have this interesting relationship between our essential being, who we are as humans, and this whole idea of prayer. Listen to what Dr. Keller, Tim Keller, says in his book on prayer. And I can't recommend this book to you highly enough. It's an excellent book on prayer. I finished reading it a few weeks ago. And I really commend it to you. Listen to what he says. To discover the real you, look at what you spend your time thinking about when no one is looking. When nothing is forcing you to think about anything in particular. At such moments... Do your thoughts go towards God? You may want to be seen as a humble, unassuming person, but do you take the initiative to confess your sins before God? You wish to be perceived as a positive, cheerful person, but do you habitually thank God for everything you have and praise Him for who He is? You may speak a great deal about what a blessing your faith is, and how you just really love the Lord. But if you are prayerless, is that really true? Yikes! If you aren't joyful, humble, and faithful in private before God, then what you want to appear to be on the outside won't match what you truly are. Do you see what he's saying? He's saying that our essential being, human being, and especially Christians, we were built to be in this close uh, communion with God, both personally, privately as individuals, but corporately as a church, as we do on Sunday when we gather as a group. We are to be in this deep communion and nothing else defines you like that. Not wealth, not riches, not your Bible knowledge, although all those things may be good and important, not your theology. They cannot possibly define you. God Himself defines you and where do you intersect Him other than in prayer? In its uniquest form. Prayer gives you identity for who you are. Of course, all those other things are important. You must have the Bible. You must have good theology. You must have evangelism. You must have discipleship. You must take communion and all of the rest of things that we do. But prayer is the life-giving power underneath that that connects you to God. And yet, think of it. If we're honest, folks, we all struggle. I don't know anyone that doesn't struggle with prayer. So, Dr. Stott in his commentary says this, and then we'll get into the, to the rest of the lesson. 
He says this, most Christians, listen, most Christians, now he's talking to us, pray sometimes with some prayer and some degree of perseverance for some of God's people. Replace some with all. And that will introduce us to a whole new dimension of prayer. Don't you want that? A new dimension of prayer in your life. So we're going to look at three things quickly. Let's go with this uh, as, as fast as we can now. We're going to look at the universals, what Dr. Stott calls the universals of prayer. Four alls. And Paul used them, and we'll look at them in a moment. Four alls. The universals of prayer. Why we struggle. I'm going to give you some some of my thoughts and other people's thoughts on why we as Christians in particular, and even other people, why people struggle with prayer. Finally, we'll look at the true hope of our prayers. The true hope of our prayers. So let's look at the universals or the alls, what Stock calls universals of prayer. There's four of them. Look at them quickly in verse 18 and following there. All times we are to pray. Now, it's best if you insert carefully with context the word all kinds because the way he uses the grammar here with the word all he means all kinds of prayer not at every moment every second of every day that's impossible sometimes you have to balance your checkbook now you may be praying intensely as you do but the but the reality is that we are to pray all kinds of times in other words not just when we're falling off of a cliff they are to be regular, our prayers, constant, every occasion that you can imagine. And listen to this, let me, be very, let me be very blunt, but at the same time, gentle and kind, you must pray, whether you feel like it or not. In fact, Dr. Keller says in his book, let's see if you can answer this, when is the most critical time for you to pray? When you don't want to. Did you read the book? Not yet? Or you have? Oh, never mind. You cheated. All right. Yet, of course, when you don't want to, when you don't want to is the precisely the time that it's most important that you get on your knees, or if you have bad knees like me, you don't do that. You do something, but you go to God in prayer and say, I don't want to pray. I don't like you right now. I'm not sure about what you're doing. In fact, I'm very confused. Uh, but here I am. And so listen for a while while I complain. Or... Listen for a while while I give you thanks. Or listen for a moment while I give you praise. Or listen while I confess my sins. How about that? I mean, don't run from Him. Run to Him even when you don't want to. So it's all kinds of prayer. Then he says, in the Spirit. Now, depending on what tradition you come from, in the Spirit could mean any number of things. But let me give you some context. I believe that what Paul is saying, you can take it or not, he's saying in the Spirit is that you are being prompted and guided by the Spirit. And particularly, verse 17, what comes right before it, which is the Word of God, the sword of the Spirit. Yes? Do you see the context? He's saying be guided by the Word of God. In other words, in the Spirit means being guided by God's Word itself. The Spirit of the Word and the words themselves. We'll look at that more in a moment. Secondly, the second one of the four, all kinds of prayer and supplication. It means that you're not limited. You know, most prayer, if we're honest, what is most prayer? 
It's our shopping list. We come to God with all of our needs. And if you took the whole time of your prayer, let's say that your prayer time, the average pastor in America prays, guess how many minutes a day? How many? Five. It's two. Now that's because they only pray 30 seconds and I pray for hours on end. See, the average. You get it, right? The average. Okay. No, it, it's... it's Unbelievable. How can you pray two, three, four, five minutes, whatever it is? The statistics vary. But the fact of the matter is we spend very little time. But if you took those few minutes, how much of that time is I need, I want these following things? And how much of that time is maybe confessing your sins or giving God thanks or giving Him praise? Everything is distorted. And so Paul is saying, pray with all kinds of prayer and supplication. Adoration, confession, thanksgiving, uh, supplication, you all know the little acronym ACTS that uh, people like to promote, which I think is great. There's also prayers we don't even think about. There's one I mentioned, complaint. There's nothing wrong. In fact, if you don't know that it's okay to complain to God and lament and gripe and pour out your, your deepest hurts and wounds, you have never read the book of Psalms, yes? 70% or more of the book of Psalms is lament and complaint. And yet that is something, I don't know what it is with us. It's like we have this, this false humility. We think, oh, I can't complain to God. That's not humble. Yes, it is. He wants you to come to Him with your heart's brokenness and pour it out to Him because He's the one that can do something about it. Yes, He wants to hear you. Would you want your children who, who are wounded and hurting, perhaps they broke their finger, would you want them to go in the closet and say, I'm not going to complain. I'm just going to sit here with my broken finger. No, you want them to run to you and say, my finger's broken and it's your fault. You moved me to El Paso where it's hot and dry and I just fell. So it's your fault. <laughs> you say, I mean, okay, it's okay to complain. It's okay to lament. It's okay to doubt and despair. Who doesn't do that? And yet there's parts of our life we hold and we kind of put in compartments like they don't belong there. Come on. God already knows. He wants you to come to Him with all that. All times, all kinds of prayer and supplication with all perseverance. He's saying stay alert with your prayers. Don't fall asleep. Alertness is a theme that runs throughout the New Testament because Jesus ushered in the last days. We live in last days. I don't know how long. Jesus may come in the next 30 seconds. Yes? He may be maybe 30 million years. I don't know. Don't listen to the television. Those guys don't know what they're talking about. It could be any time we don't know. And consequently, we are to be awake and alert. Our minds are to be focused on everything around us. Persistent. Jesus used an old word. You don't hear it anymore. Jesus used the word importunate. Do you all remember that word? With impunity. And he gave parables. He talked about the widow who came to the unjust judge and she, she's banging on his door at night saying, I need justice. And he wouldn't answer the door. And, and Jesus said, God is contrasted with that. God, the just judge, will answer the persistent widow or the persistent person crying out for justice. But persistence is necessary. Because God doesn't answer in, 
two minutes or three minutes or one week or four weeks or until the day you die? What does that mean? It means absolutely nothing other than you must trust Him and He will do what is right for you. Yes? Do you see it? Very important, folks. We think that if God doesn't answer our prayers the way that we want Him to, then they must not be right prayers, or he doesn't, you know, he doesn't know what he's doing, or he's not listening, or maybe my life's not in order. We, oh, we come up with all kinds of reasons, which I'm going to talk about in a moment. All times, all kinds of prayer, with all perseverance, with a certain amount of impudence, if you can get your head around that, a certain amount of boldness, where you come to God and say, you promised, you told me to come, I'm here. And knock, ask, seek. You see it? Persistent. Why? Because He's faithful. And you're there because of His faithfulness. Okay, finally He says, pray for all kinds of saints. For all saints. You know, we, we are okay usually play, praying for people uh, that we like. Yes? And it's hard to pray for people that we do not like. Yes? It's very hard. And I know... I know that there are people in this church that do not like me. And that's okay. That really, it's all right. I don't like you either. <laughs> all right. Look, the reality is sometimes we don't like people. You know, you may not like your spouse. You may not like your children. You may not like a lot of you. You may not like the person sitting next to you. I really don't know. So Paul is saying, pray for all the saints. Pray for all kinds of saints. Pray for all people. Why? Because if I start praying, if I don't like you and I start praying for you, what is liable to happen? I'm a, yeah, I may start liking you. Who knows? Maybe not, but I might. And, and the, uh, the promise is there that we are to pray at all times, with all prayer and supplication, with all perseverance, for all of God's people, those we like, those we don't like. And this is Paul's command. And then he tells us this, just to finish this little part up. He says, pray for me also. Now he's saying, I need this particular thing. I need you to pray for me as well. But don't just limit it to Paul. He wants you to Ask these things not only for the Apostle himself, but for you and I. These things would apply to us as well. Look at them quickly. He prays for three things. Paul asked for prayer for three things in particular. Clarity, courage, and content. Clarity, courage, and content. So if you want to write those down, it's very helpful. He asks for clarity. He uses the word logos. I want you to pray that I have words, logos, to say. Reasonable, rational, logical words and that point to the divine incarnation. You remember we talked about it. If you weren't here last week, uh, we can talk about it later. But the logos is the divine incarnation of God Himself in the person of His Son, Jesus. So Paul is saying, give me words that I can express so I can tell people what? About Jesus. Really cool. He says, give me courage. He uses a word, uh, parasia, which is a word for boldness or courage. And he uses it twice, which is really important. He says, this is a, a kind of fearlessness. You know, America, folks, did not invent freedom of speech. It's a very important part of our nation. 
But we didn't invent it. Other nations had it before us. The Greeks had it and the Romans had it. If you were a Greek or Roman citizen in those, in those eras, you had a right to speak. You could go onto Mars Hill or wherever you know, the forum was and you could get up and you could wax eloquent and give your rhetoric for whatever thing it was. You know, you had to be careful. You couldn't go into a theater and yell fire. Right? There were, there were limitations. You couldn't slander anybody. We have the same kinds of limits on our speech. But you had freedom to speak. And Paul uses the very word here that he would have that courage and boldness to speak freely to people around uh, the world there. Again, Dr. Stott, very quickly. Clarity, listen to what he says. Clarity without courage is like sunshine in the desert. Plenty of light, but nothing worth looking at. Now, those of us in the desert, we might disagree with, but what Stott is saying is, saying, you know, in a barren landscape, you may have plenty of light. The sun may be at full strength, but there's not much to see. Clarity without courage is like sunshine in the desert. Plenty of light, nothing worth looking at. Courage, listen now, courage without clarity is like a beautiful landscape at night. Plenty to see, but no light by which to enjoy it. What is now, he's talking to me and to other preachers and to you as well, those of you that share your faith. What is needed in pulpits today is a combination of clarity and courage. Yes, we need both. We need to be able to get up and speak plainly. And we need to have the boldness that when wherever we may live, we enjoy freedom in the United States, freedom of speech, but think of people in other parts of the world where they cannot gather like this and cannot speak freely. Wherever you are and wherever God may take you, you must pray that you have freedom and courage and boldness to speak. Yes? That's what he's asking for. So why do we struggle? Let me give you a nice even number, a round number, the number seven. Seven reasons. Nobody's awake. Seven is not a round or even number. Okay. All right. Never mind. Okay. Here's seven. Uh, there's, there's as many people in this room, that's as many things we struggle with. Right. But I'm going to give you seven and there may be more. We can talk about that later as well. First one I'm going uh, to suggest is we don't know how to pray. We don't pray because we don't know how. In other words, we've never learned We've never been taught. We simply don't know how. Yes? They're just, we don't know how. Now, the 12 disciples of Jesus, there were 12 of them, and they were all Jews. And these men were steeped in a culture that was just laced with prayer. Morning till night, the Jewish life was was filled with prayer. And yet... Jesus' prayers were so unique that they said to Him, Lord, what? Teach us to pray. Even you can have been raised in the church all your life and never learned to pray. Yes? Or you can have been raised in a church where the number two example that I would like or another two reason for our struggle with prayer is we may have had poor examples. I don't know what tradition you come from. Uh, I, I don't know what, what God has, where He's taken you on your journey, but you may have actually been in a church where you heard prayers or ways of praying, methods of prayer that were not helpful and not good. And I don't want to be critical, uh, so I won't 
I won't give you any examples, but you can just let your mind go and think, oh, I, used to, I remember when that guy used to pray, it was a terrible, you know. And, and that could very well be the case. That you just grew up in a, a tradition where you had bad examples for prayer. Thirdly, another reason we struggle has to do with the second one, and that is we don't have, listen folks, this is so important, we don't have a vocabulary for prayer. Okay? We don't know how. We have had bad examples, and we never have developed a vocabulary. How could you possibly talk to God if you don't have words? Right? Is prayer talking to God? Say yes. If you don't have the words, how do you talk with Him? Do you just, you know, feel something? That isn't what the Bible teaches us. The Bible is filled with prayers that are filled with words that have deep content. And so we are to be verbal with God. Whether it's silently in your heart, you can do that if you need to, or audibly out loud. But we need to build a vocabulary for prayer. Dr. Eugene Peterson in his book, Answering God, which is about prayer, said this, we must learn the vocabulary of prayer, listen, from Scripture. We need to hear it, and then we need to say it back. Yes? we got to hear it and then repeat it back to God. Okay? Fourth reason. Sin, fear, and unworthiness. If you, if you commit a sin, or you have a feeling or a deep sense of unworthiness, or fear, I've done something wrong, God is you know, going to be mad at me. God is going to be really angry with me. It can prevent you from drawing near to Him because of your sin, your fear, your sense of unworthiness. And yet, listen to this, folks. In the Bible, in the Psalms, David the psalmist and the other psalmists that wrote those 150 hymns that we have in our Bible all agreed at different places that you must never let your sins keep you from going to God. Yes? You must not. Because otherwise, how will you deal with your sin? How? How are you going to deal with it? Work harder, yeah. Work, work, work. You're the gerbil on the treadmill. Work it out. No. Run to Jesus. Run to Him with your sins. Take them to Him because He is the sin bearer. He is uniquely equipped to deal with your sins. Listen to what the psalmist said. Blessed is the man whom the Lord counts no iniquity, in whose spirit is no deceit. Here it is. For when I kept silent, my bones wasted away. When I kept silent, my bones wasted away. But I am blessed if I go to God with my sin. Anger, the fifth one. Anger and bitterness. If you're angry at God, or you're angry at somebody, or you're bitter about something, you know, He took away my health. He took away my child. He has messed up my marriage. My marriage isn't one of my job is terrible. My, you know, and you're angry. I don't understand Him. I'm just not going to talk to Him. I'm not speaking to you right now. And you're bitter against God for whatever reason. And they may, may be good reasons. 
But he says, do not hold those in and keep you away from me. How do we know one of my favorite Psalms, folks? Psalm 13, it's easy to remember. Psalm 13, it's unlucky. Oh, you guys. Okay. All right. Psalm 13. How long, O Lord, how long will you forget me forever? How long am I going to waste away? How long? The cry of the heart, a heart that is bitter and hurt and wounded, but he doesn't run away from God. He runs to him with his hurt and his bitterness and his anger. Don't let anger keep you away from God, whether you're angry with him or angry with somebody else. Run to him and tell him, confess, I'm angry. How long? But you, at the end of Psalm 13, he says, but you, O Lord. And he goes into this magnificent praise of God because he recognizes God as his source for everything. The sixth one, very quickly, doubt. Is anybody up there? (laughs) I mean, that is a struggle we have. Sometimes you're just steeped in doubt and unbelief and you're thinking, how in the world? I just don't know if I even believe in God right now. That's the time to run to Him. Say, I don't know if I believe in you right now. Don't be afraid to do it. Doubt can keep you away from Him. Finally, solitude and time. This is something that has really uh, kind of been bothering me lately because I notice that all the time I'm like this. And my wife, is Wadi V here? She didn't come? It's because she's with her phone. She's, just, she's like, I, I mean, we have no relationship because of the iPhone and God, you know, it's the devil. This is the devil. So, I mean, we have no solitude. There's no time carved out of our lives for deep quiet, right? And in the modern world, folks, it's getting crazy, ridiculous. We wake to an alarm. I wake to Led Zeppelin's Stairway to Heaven. And from that moment on, the rest of the day, there's just constant input and clutter. And we don't carve out times of solitude. We need times of quiet and solitude where we don't have any input whatsoever. One of my heroes, Andrew Bonar, said this. He's speaking to ministers, but it applies to all of you. I've given you this quote before. One of the gravest perils which besets the ministry is a restless scattering of energies over an amazing multiplicity of interests which leaves no margin of time and of strength for receptive and absorbing communion with God. We don't carve out even a few minutes of just quiet where there's no input. So that can keep us from praying. We just don't have time. And folks, if you're that busy, and I'm speaking from my own life, if you're that busy, you're too darn busy. Yes? Because other things are going to fall through the cracks, and then you're going to be falling from that cliff, grasping for, hopefully, some little straggle of a bush, you know, hanging out. Yes? Okay, so... Get some instruction. Learn the vocabulary of prayer. Steep yourself in grace. It's not about your worthiness or your good moral rectitude. It's about the record of Jesus Christ for you. Yes? Go to Him with everything. 
And practice discipline with your prayers, even when you don't want to. What is the true hope of our prayers? Let me close with this. The true hope of our prayers. We are always going to struggle. I think if we're honest, we're all going to struggle at certain times with our prayers. That's just human nature. So what is the true hope of our prayers? Dave mentioned it, and this is one of the reasons. I, I love, don't you love our elders when they pray? I mean, they, go, they work hard on those. They write those prayers. They think about those. This is, they're beautiful prayers. And David mentioned it this morning in his prayer. Jesus in us. Jesus with us. Jesus for us. Jesus as us. That, my friends, is the hope that undergirds all of what Paul is talking about in the grammar of the Gospel in the book of Ephesians. He's saying you've got to look underneath that at the foundation and core of our faith, which is Jesus Christ, the Righteous One, for us who are not righteous. Jesus is with us. He is with us. The Apostle Paul, in his letter to Ephesians, I think it's over 20 times, he says Jesus is with us. Jesus is in us. We are with Him. We are in Him. We are in the Beloved. Over and over again, he says this to you and I. We have union with Christ. We have a unique union with Christ, not because we sought Him out, but because He sought us out. He chose us before the foundation of the world. He predestined us to be His children. He came and found us, for by grace are you saved, through faith. And that not of yourselves, it's the gift of God. Not what? Not of works, lest any man should boast. Do you see it? He's saying you have a new identity in Him. And He is for us. John 17, Jesus prayed His great prayer. Listen, Jesus prayed many prayers. One of them was not answered. It was answered in the negative. Father, spare me the cross The Father said, no, you go to the cross. And Jesus said, thy will be done. He prayed that prayer that was said no to so that every prayer you pray will get an affirmative answer. Not a yes in the positive sense, but an attentive ear and the promise that God will not just sit back and kind of hold His nose at you and, well, I'm not too sure about you. Know that He is for you. And He has interceded for you. And in John 17, Jesus prayed a prayer that is a promise to be answered in the affirmative that we will be protected, that we will be filled with the measure of joy, that we will be made holy, that we will see His glory. And that at the end of our lives, which is approaching for many of us at lightning speed, that we will be with Him where He is. Yes? Don't you love that? That prayer, I can assure you, yes, 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 yes. He prayed for us. He prayed as us. He who knew no sin was made to be sin for us, that we might be made the righteousness of God in Him. The great exchange over which all of Scripture is written. Him for us. Him on the cross. He didn't deserve it, but He went anyway. We deserve the cross, and what do we get? We get heaven. 
We get His presence for eternity. We get a new heaven and a new earth. We get forgiveness freely, freely, freely to us, but at great cost, infinite cost to God as us, our substitute. And finally, He gives us access forever. Access forever. Hebrews chapter 4. Since we have a great high priest who's passed into the heavens, Jesus, the Son of God, let us hold fast our confession. We don't have a high priest unable to sympathize with our weaknesses, but one who in every respect was tempted like we are, yet without sin. Therefore, let us with confidence draw near to the throne of grace that we may find help and mercy in time of need. He's saying you come boldly with impudence, if you will, importunate. Not because I deserve to be there. Not because I deserve to be there, but because of who is already there. My high priest, the one who not only offered the sacrifice, but was Himself the Lamb that takes away the sin of the world. Will you trust Him? Will you let that reshape your prayer life? Will you do it? I pray you will. Father, uh, it's hard sometimes for us to pray, and I'm as guilty of that as anybody and have all the wrong reasons for not praying. But right now we are opening our hearts to you and we're asking you, beseeching you, Father, to work a work in us by your Spirit, uh, whereby perhaps today is a new day for many of us where we can carve out those precious few minutes, and maybe it's only a few, where we can go before you with our hearts open wide. Let nothing hinder us. Let us run to Jesus, the author and perfecter of our faith our great high priest. I pray you'll do it, Father, for each of us, for our children. Let us be good examples for them as they learn to pray. And hear us now as we come to you with our cries for mercy and our confessions of sin and taste and see your goodness in the table of our Lord. Amen.